Let me ask you guys this. Uh, have you guys experienced, or maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, zeal without knowledge? Have you guys heard that phrase before, zeal without knowledge? Some of you guys. So the idea, it, it's something you experience, especially within children, right? Where they're really, really passionate about something, but they don't know anything about it, right? But they're they are really into it, you know, whatever it is. And there's something about boys, too. Young boys get, like, fixated on things, and they think it's the coolest thing in the world, and they don't know anything about it at all. Like, my boys, I remember, were really excited about Minecraft, and they had never played it before, never seen it before. They didn't know anything about it, but because other people were excited, they're like, yeah, Minecraft's awesome. It's like, what is it? It's, it's stuff. It's crafting. You know, they, they have no idea, but they're excited about it, right? And I remember when they first got into football. And they're like, okay, the Chiefs, yeah, Chiefs, go Chiefs. We're going we're gonna to wear our go Chiefs shirts. That's what Judah would say. I'm wearing my go Chiefs shirt, you know. And uh, they're really excited about it. And they say things like, man, Travis Kelsey is the best quarterback ever. <laughs> and it's like, well, well he, he's actually a tight end. He, you know, he's, he's not a good. Yeah, because tight ends throw the ball. It's like. Now, now that now they, they catch, they catch the ball. Yeah, and they're gonna win. I'm like, that's there. You go. There, they're gonna win. That's good. So they have this passion, but they don't know what they're talking about. It's awesome. I love it. It's so much fun, and I have a lot of fun with them in that, and uh, asking them questions about the things that they're passionate about. But I myself was in that same season. I think we all have experienced those seasons in our life to some degree, right? Uh, when I was a young believer, as a teenager. Uh, I was leading a small group with other guys in it, and uh, Nathan, you know this. Uh, and so we were, you know, we were very, I was very passionate for the Lord, uh, and, and I, everything I learned about following Jesus was leave all and follow Christ. You know, pick up your cross and follow him. Lay down your life for Jesus. Leave everything behind. Sacrifice everything. It's all, you know, and it's this very intense version of pursuing God. But the passion was real. It was real. I really did love the Lord. I wanted to give my life to him. And so I was passionate about it to the point where I would tell these guys in my group, I'm like, okay, we've got the, all these events. We've got an event on Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. And so you're going to be at every single one of those and we're going to pray and we're going to reach the lost and, we're gonna, and I would say all this different stuff. And, uh, and then guys would say, well, I can't, I can't be at the thing on Tuesday night because I got band practice. And I would be like, very lovingly and gently, I would say, quit band. Quit. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, I don't know if my mom quit band for Jesus. And so then I would get phone calls from mothers. Uh, didn't work out great. Uh, I definitely learned a lot in that season. But again, the passion was real. My zeal, my, my love for the Lord was real, but it was a little misdirected, right? And so does that mean that God doesn't want us to have passion? Absolutely not. No, he does. He wants us to be zealous and passionate and hungry and thirsty for him and alive to him. The last thing we want to be is dead and devoted. We want to be alive. 
and devoted to God. Right? That's what fully alive, fully devoted, one with Jesus. That's our heart. Right? And so he wants us to have passion, but directed by him. That we allow our zeal and our passion to be directed by God, like a river. Right? Keep the water flowing. Keep it going, but let God direct it in the right place. And so that the same is true when it comes to that desire in our hearts for purpose and meaning in our life, that passion that we have to make a difference. Keep it flowing. God, want, you've been created to do that. You were literally made for good works, the Bible says, right? So we should, we should have a passion for good works. We should have a desire to make a difference. That's good. Keep that going. But let, let's allow God to steward that passion and direct it where he wills. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about today, stewarding passion. Stewarding passion. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, God, that you will speak to us today. Lord, I pray that anything that comes out of my mouth that's of me, I pray that it falls to the ground and dies, Lord, and that only your word remains. What you want us to hear, Lord, that's what we want to hear, Jesus. We want to hear from you, Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we just, we open up our hearts to you and our ears to to you, God, and I pray that your word will be a seed planted in good ground that will bear fruit in our lives by your grace. We love you, Jesus. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in this series, we are going to use the story of Joseph to walk through these different questions of purpose and calling. So we're going to look at the life of Joseph, and we're going to start at the beginning. So Genesis chapter 37, where we're going to start today in verse 3. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Already not great. (laughs) He loves him more than any of his other children. Do you guys have favorites? Don't raise your hand. I know you do. All right. Because he had been born to him in his old age. There's something about the young ones, the youngest. They always get get treated that way. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. (laughs) Terrible. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, this is really interesting what they're saying here. They could not speak a kind word to him. What that actually is talking about is like a, a greeting, like, like peace be to you or something like that, just a normal greeting. They couldn't even do that. They were so at odds with their brother. They couldn't even say, like, have a nice day, right, to Joseph. So definitely some animosity there to the point that Robert Jameson said this. He said, it is deemed a sacred duty to give all this form of salutation. And the withholding of it is an unmistakable sign of dislike or secret hostility. The habitual refusal of Joseph's brethren, therefore, to meet him with the salam showed how ill-disposed they were towards him. So it was obvious to everyone, and it should have been obvious to Joseph as well, that his brothers weren't thrilled with him. They did not like him. Okay, so let's look at verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Isn't that exciting, brothers? 
His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. Now you would think, okay, at this point he's getting it. Okay, I should probably not, you know, let my brothers know about this next dream. Okay, because they hate me and they, they're really angry. I mean, their faces are constantly red when they see me. They're fuming. But no, he didn't, he didn't learn that lesson. All right. So, verse 9, then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, because he's like, hey, dad, you're in this one. He told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So now what's interesting about this is that God had placed this dream in Joseph's heart. It was the Lord. And we come to find out later, it came to pass, right? It was a prophetic dream. It was God speaking to him. It was the Lord. It was pure. It was right. It was good. It was from God. And, and I think God has done that with all of us. He's placed in each one of us that desire, a dream in our hearts to see the world become what he wants it to become, right? To see heaven invade earth. That's what he wants us to, to, that's what he wants to see. And we have that desire in us. There's a dream in our hearts as well. Collectively, we all have a desire of purpose and meaning and significance. We want these things. But like Joseph we have to be careful with how we steward our passion for purpose. We have to be careful how we steward that passion for purpose. Because if you look at Joseph, it, it seemed like he forced the issue a little bit. And it ended up hurting him. Let's, let's look at that. Genesis 37 verse 18. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They, they were a little Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. And that word actually means master of dreams. Or in, but the, way, the, the definition of it was someone who made up stuff, like made up dreams. So come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, by the grace of God, his older brother Reuben hears about their plan and he comes to him, he's like, guys, no, 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 let's not have blood on our hands. Let's not kill him. Let's just place him in one of these empty cisterns, one of these pits, and then he'll just die. But we didn't kill him per se. Right, guys? Good? Yes. But his plan was that they would all put him in the pit, and then when they all left, he would come back and get him out and, and rescue him and save him and deliver him to his dad. So praise the Lord for Reuben, right? But... After Reuben left, the brothers had a different idea. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. You know, we can at least sell him into slavery. Our own flesh and blood. <laughs> That's the nice thing to do. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. And so I'm sure Joseph's like, okay, good. They came to their minds. They were just, it was a prank, you know. And then they sell him into slavery. He's like, this wasn't a prank. You know? So they sell him. Um, they pull him out, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him 
to Egypt. So now Joseph's dreams aren't gone, but boy, they are put on hold. I, I mean, I don't think, you know, going into slavery, being sold into slavery was part of his five-year plan, right? Especially not 13 years of slavery that comes to pass because of this. But Joseph had a dream. He had something that God placed in his heart. He had, there was a purpose. There's a reason for him being on this earth. He knew it. God told him that. He had a drive, just like we do. But the question is, how are we going to steward that? Where are we, how are we going to allow God to direct this desire, this drive for purpose without letting it die? So I want to talk about two different extremes that we want to avoid when it comes to stewarding this passion for purpose, okay? Two harmful extremes. Number one, we want to avoid complacency. Complacency or purpose, drawing purpose from the world around us. Now, the fact of the matter is sometimes we have to wait on God. Not sometimes. A lot of times we have to wait on God, right? And we're waiting. God, what do you want me to do? You know, how am I supposed to live in this world? What are you calling me to? And we're kind of waiting in the seasons of waiting. And then it just gets frustrating. We talked about it before, these seasons of obscurity where we're like, I'm unsure what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to live. And so the easy way out is to say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and put my hope or draw my purpose from something that the world offers me, from one of their avenues for purpose and meaning. Okay, because that's tangible. I can at least see that. It's hard. Having purpose from God, it's kind of ethereal, like I'm supposed to love him and people, and I, I don't even know how to live that out. So I need something that I can touch. Okay, that's where I want my purpose. And this is, this is common. This is a natural human desire that we all struggle with, you all have. So we search for meaning in a number of different ways. So um, one of the main ways that we search for meaning, right? What do we ask kids all the time as a Western culture in America? We ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And what are we asking them? We're saying your career, your job is your identity. What do you want to be? This is who you are. Who you are is what you do. Right? We're defined by what we do. That is our sense of purpose. So work, career, that is where we find purpose. And, that, and that's an easy, that's low-hanging fruit. Okay, so uh, I don't know about what God's saying and all that stuff, so my purpose will be in my job. Right? That's going to fulfill me. That's, that's where I'm going to fulfill my purpose. But the problem is we lose jobs. <laughs> it happens. Then what? Did we lose our purpose? Well, if we put all of our eggs in that basket, then yes. And that is, there's a lot of disillusionment that comes with that when you lose a sense of purpose, right? So, so we have work. That's an option that the world gives us. Family, right? Family is everything. We hear that all the time. That's, that's the moral high ground of people that don't know Christ is the family. It's all about investing in the family. And again, each one of these does have truth in it, right? Because the enemy's not dumb. There is truth in all of these areas, absolutely. God does have purpose in each of these areas. But if that is it, that holistically our purpose is there, that's not it either. So we have family. Uh, sometimes we'll go to activism or something like that. We need a cause, 
right? I need a cause to fight for. That gives me a sense of purpose. So we grab onto that or we cling to that or politics or whatever. There's a lot of different things that we can cling to for some sense of purpose in this world that's tangible, right? Because we want to make a difference. And we have that drive in us and we're not sure about what God is doing and it's a little confusing and it's a little unclear. So we're just going to grab onto these things. It's easier to draw our purpose from what we see everyone else putting their hope in. It's easier to do that because that's what we see the world doing. And so it's, it's like, well, everyone else is doing that. So it's just natural. I'm going to draw my purpose from the same place, the tangible, measurable world. In this world, we're tempted to identify purpose as being successful. That purpose is success. It is success in jobs, success with family, the American dream, whatever you want to call it. Success, that is, that is our idea of purpose. If I'm successful, measurable, if I can measure my success, then I'm fulfilling my purpose. I feel alive. But the Bible talks about this craving. First John chapter 2, he talks about the cravings of the world. And, we, you know, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Um, in a different translation, the pride of life is pride in our achievements and possessions. So it's this craving for pride in our achievement, measurable success, right? That's the craving that we have that the world offers us, but it says in 1 John, those cravings are passing away. They're dying along with this world, right? So it's not going to fulfill. It's not going to be fulfilling. And, and I know we've all experienced that, right? That we think, oh, once I achieve this, then then, you know, I'm going to be fulfilled. Then my life will make sense. Then, you know, I have purpose and meaning. And it just doesn't happen. That's not it. That's not where it's found. But it's easier to grab hold of this low-hanging fruit that the world offers us, but it always falls short. It's the hope deferred, making the heart sick again. Right? We put our hope, I'm going to be fulfilled and find meaning in this thing. And then, ah, it doesn't get fulfilled. Heart sick. Right? The problem is with all of these ideas is that we're, this world is not our home. And so we weren't created to live by its standards and its dictates. It doesn't make any sense. We weren't made for that, right? Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, it has this awesome account of uh, these heroes of the faith, right? Uh, and, it, and it shares about Moses and Jacob and all these different people who are these awesome heroes of the faith and, and who they were and what they did and how they continued to believe God no matter the, what hardships they faced or what obstacles they faced. And it's a beautiful picture. Definitely read it. I love it. It's always encouraging, especially when we're going through some obscure seasons, just to read that, to be refreshed. But there's a description about these heroes of the faith. There was something that they all had in common, and it was this idea that their hope wasn't in this world. Their purpose wasn't found in the material world. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 13. It says, all these people, these heroes of the faith, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They did not receive them. I mean, that would be hard. I mean, Abraham, right, God promised him he'd be a father of many nations. You know, millions and millions of people. He didn't see millions of people from his descendants, right? He saw Isaac in his really, really old age, right? And he saw a few of them, but they didn't see the promises fulfilled in their life. Yet, it says they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
they saw that they knew that God was faithful to his word. And they were a part of his grand design, something that transcended even their own lifetime. And they were a part of that. And they saw the promises are coming. I know they're coming. And they welcomed them. They were content. They didn't have to achieve different things in order to feel fulfilled in their purpose. Because they were obedient to God. And they trusted, in my obedience, God's will is is coming to pass. His kingdom is coming. His purpose is being fulfilled in the earth as I obey him. So they could be content seeing the promises from afar off and welcoming them. But look at this. It says that they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. Hey, this isn't my home. It's okay. I don't need all of these achievements in my life in order to feel fulfilled. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There's nothing wrong with having an ambition. There's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve something. That's fine. But when we put our hope in that thing to fulfill us and fulfill that purpose in our life, it's just going to fall short. We weren't made for that, right? So we can't put our hope in a temporary purpose when we have the option of an eternal one. Why would we put our hope in a temporary purpose when we have an option for an eternal purpose? Something that lasts well beyond our lifetime. God's eternal kingdom. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is knowing God. We have an eternal purpose that we can live into and it is tangible. We can live into it. It is something that we can put our hands on. It is something that we can live out on a day-to-day basis. It isn't just ethereal. It is something that we can practice right now today and live out that purpose. Our eternal purpose ultimately is the great commandment and the great commission, right? The great commandment, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission, preach the good news to every creature, Make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I've taught you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, right? We have eternal purpose that we can live into daily, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, cultivating an intimate relationship with him. Loving people is something that is very much tangible. Sharing the good news. What's the good news? Hope has come in the form of Christ. By grace we are saved, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast that Jesus has come, that we might have life in all its fullness. This is good news. It's good news. That's so great. We get to share good news. It's it's not like God's telling us to go share bad news with everyone, like Jeremiah. That would have been rough. Rough, rough, rough. No wonder he's called the weeping prophet. He gets to share bad news with everyone. We get to share good news. And then make disciples, pour into people, point them to Jesus. There is eternal purpose available to us. So why? Why is that the eternal purpose? Well, because it's investing in things that have eternal value. And I believe there's there's probably more than a couple, but two that I'm for sure of that have eternal value. Number one is our relationship with God. It has eternal value. Why? Because it's eternal. It's an eternal relationship. We're investing in a relationship that will carry on forever. 
So any investment in that relationship has eternal value. So our relationship with God has eternal value, and people, souls, are eternally valuable. They will live forever, one way or the other. So when we invest our lives into those things, we're investing into our eternal purpose and things that have eternal value. It's never wasted. Ever. It's never wasted when we invest in those things. When we choose to cultivate a living relationship with God and we say, God, I want to hear your voice. And we, we practice hearing the voice of God, listening to what the Spirit of God might be saying to us day in and day out, walking in step with him. God, what are you telling me today? What are, what are you calling me to in this present moment? And we're walking in step with God when we're, when we're worshiping him and honoring him for all the good that he has done in our life and the gratitude that we're overwhelmed with. We're investing in something with eternal value. When we love him from our heart, when we, when we take in his truth and his word, eternal value. When we invest in people's lives, when we pour in to others, when we point them to Christ, eternal value. When we make disciples, and that includes our children, they're the first disciples that we make. If we're parents, eternal value. Pointing them to Jesus. When we make God's name great by representing him well in this earth, eternal value. There is so much. There are so many ways we can get our hands on it and live out our eternal purpose and value. Many times if we aren't active in our eternal purpose, we'll settle for success. If we're not active in our eternal purpose, then we'll just settle for success in this world. Like, well, you know, at least, you know, I'm just going to have a good, the, the American dream, you know, like I'm going to have a good job, a good family, you know, and we just, we settle for success if we're not active. That's the temptation. But when we choose to be active in that, then we're not going to settle because we know, we know his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm going for. And like those heroes of faith, we know that even if we're not seeing it, we're not seeing all the fruit happen in our lifetime. Mike and I were having a conversation about this this morning. We don't see all the fruit immediately. We know. We know it's coming because it won't be wasted. God is not wasting our obedience. Amen? So we can live in to that and we can avoid complacency, that extreme of saying, you know what? I don't know what God's doing or whatever, so I'm just going to do the thing. You know, I'm just going to do the American thing. That, that's where I'm going to find fulfillment. It's not going to satisfy. It's not what we were made for. So we, we want to avoid complacency. The second extreme is escapism. Escapism. We want to avoid this, abandoning the world or becoming bitter towards the world. We also have to be careful that in our zeal to live for eternity, we don't abandon the world in the process, the people to which we are called. Like a lot of times when we, when we choose to say, okay, I'm all in with Jesus, kingdom mentality, you know what I mean? I want to live, I want to set my mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You know, I'm going to live kingdom principles. I'm going to surround myself with godly people. I'm going to dive into the word. I'm going to be involved in church. I'm going to do these things. That's awesome. That's great. Wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. That's great. But what can happen is when we, we have to be careful. Again, we're stewarding. What can happen is if we get too down, too, too far down that road, 
we can create a little bubble around us, right, of comfort. Like, well, I'm, I'm in the Jesus bubble. You know, I'm comfortable here. I'm doing the Jesus thing. I'm good. I don't need to get involved with those people out there. You know what I mean? And then what happens eventually, a lot of times, is we set ourselves against the world. We say we're fighting against them because they're trying to take down the kingdom. So it's like, and then we vilify people. We can't do that. Those are the people that God's called us to. And so we have to avoid this version, this extreme of having a passion for purpose, living into kingdom, but so much so that we exclude the world that God's calling us to reach. We can't do that either. We can't reach lost people if we aren't cultivating connection in some way to some degree in our lives. We're not going to be able to reach people who don't know Christ unless we are intentionally cultivating connection to them in some way. In some way, we are cultivating, we're developing relationship, we're doing something. We're, we're li- loving where we live. You know, loving the, our neighbors, getting to know them, getting to know their names and their stories, having them over for dinner, our coworkers, whoever it is, people that are in our life. If we are not intentionally cultivating connection, we're not going to be able to reach those people. The whole megaphone on the street corner thing does not work <laughs> in American culture. It doesn't work. Maybe it'll work somewhere else. It doesn't work here. Personal relationships, connecting with people. We are meant to be in the world, not escape from it. We're meant to be in the world. Let me show you this. In John 17, Jesus is praying over his disciples. Okay, he's praying over his disciples, and he says this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Look, he says it right there. My prayer, don't take them out of the world. Don't do it. Keep them in the world. Please, God. Don't take them out of the world. Just keep them safe. Keep them safe. Protect them. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I'm sending them into the world. So don't take them out of it. I'm sending them into it to be light that shines in the darkness. Not light that shines in the light. Light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Right? So we're meant to be in the world to reach the world. The local church, it's the hope of the world. This is God's plan A. This is why he's commissioned us to preach the gospel to every creature and to make disciples of every nation. That's why he's called us to do it. This is his plan A. This is how he's going to reach the world. It's through his body. He is the head, we are the body. So he's gonna reach the world through us. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring what? Good news. Good news. How beautiful. So we're meant to be in the world, not escape from it. Also, we're meant to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We are in it, yes, because we're called to it, but not of the world, not accepting its truth, right? And or living by its standards. So hoping in it, complacency, right? So in, not of. 
So we're avoiding escapism, we're avoiding complacency, and we find this beautiful place in between. John 17, 16 says, they are not of the world, his disciples praying, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth, by the truth your word is truth. So this is how we steward our passion for, for purpose, for our eternal purpose. This is how we steward it. In, not of. In, not of. We can live into our passion, not neglect it, not let it die on us, continue to have that passion stir within us, that drive for purpose and for meaning in our life. Have that alive, thriving in us, the river that is roaring and rushing, right? Keep that active while not misplacing it in something that's temporary and present. Right? We can keep it alive and active while not misplacing it or neglecting its missionality. We can have both. We can have a live, thriving, passionate purpose, right? yet not put it in temporary expressions and at the same time not neglecting the mission behind the purpose and the people that God's called us to reach. That's what's so great. And so we can thrive in our eternal purpose, hands-on, live into it day to day. Amen? So I want to close with this. Um, it's exciting. It's exciting to have purpose. It, it should be. It should, it should be something that's exciting. That we can wake up to purpose every day. We have a reason for being here. Every single day. That is special. And there's a lot of people in this world that don't have that. They don't have that privilege. They don't, they don't know that. God has it for them, but they're just not aware of it. But we have that opportunity and the privilege of following Christ. That every day we can live on purpose. Every day we can live into our purpose. And it can be passionate. And it can be alive. And sure, there will be times where we're doing the thing, where we're, we're seeking the Lord, we're loving God, and we're loving people, and we're pointing people to Jesus, and we're pouring into others, and we still feel like we're not fulfilling our purpose. <laughs> it can, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's just part of life. But we know this is what Jesus has called us to. It's clear. It's right there. It's all over Scripture. The greatest commandment and the Great Commission. The two greats. And we can live into it on a day-to-day -day basis. And next week, we're going to talk about how God can use the seemingly finite things, the little things, to fulfill infinite purpose and eternal purpose. And it's, I'm really excited to talk about that as well. And, and the idea of calling. And that calling, sometimes we, we put it in a vacuum. And we have a narrow understanding of what calling is. And we, we tie it to an Americanized version of calling, which is a lot about jobs and vocation. But the, the biblical version of it is much broader than that. So we're going to talk about that next week. But God's given us this eternal purpose. We can live into the kingdom while sharing the gospel through personal relationships and practical expressions of Jesus' love. That's how we share the gospel. Personal relationships and practical expressions of Jesus' love. We have to be intentional to make connection, to connect. Love where we live. It's simple. 
It's not complicated. And I'm saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's simple. It's not hard to understand. It's just, it is hard to do for sure. But we have the opportunity. And we can build personal relationships with people and then practical expressions of his love. Loving people well. And I know you guys do that extremely well. Practical expressions of Jesus' love. Pointing people to Jesus. Our vision as a church is to be one on mission, fully present and fully engaged with the lost and hurting in our city. Fully present and fully engaged. That's how Jesus was. So we're just following his example. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to close with a time of worship. And listen, um, if you need prayer for any reason at all, we want to pray for you. I can ask my prayer team to just come up. Um, to the sides here if you're on the prayer team. Uh, Listen, we offer this every week. The reason why is because we need prayer and we need each other, right? And so that's why every single week you'll hear me say it. Hey, if you need prayer, we're here to pray for you because that's what we are. We're the body of Christ. We need each other. We need people to support us. And so if you need prayer for any reason, we wanna pray with you. Uh, If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want you to ask the Lord, God, this is the most important question we can ask. God, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me, God? What are what are you what do you want me to know? What are you saying to me, God? And it might be something completely different, something that has nothing to do with anything that I've said today, that's fine. Whatever God wants to say, that's what he wants to say. God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to our hearts, God? We want to live into that. Jesus, what are you saying to us, God? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, that you are good and that you've given us purpose in this world. You've given us meaning and a desire for it, Lord, and you fulfill that desire. Only you do. So, Lord, I just, I pray, God, for grace. God, give us grace to live into that, Jesus. Love you, Father. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us and inviting us into your work in the world. What a privilege that is. Give us the courage to say yes, to say yes to you. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me as we close in worship? And if you need prayer, please come forward to the front. Nothing can tear us from the grip of your mighty love. We've only glimpsed your vast affection, heard whispers of your heart. And it covers us. Your love is fierce. Your love is strong. It's furious. Your love is sweet. Your love is wild. It's waking hearts to life. Your love is deep. Your love is wide. And it covers us. 
Your love is fierce, your love is strong, it's furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, it's waking hearts to life. The Father loves and sends His Son. The Son lays down His life. such love upon us you call us now your sons and daughters you're reaching out your love is deep your love is wide and it covers us your love is fierce your love is strong it's furious your love is sweet your love is wild it's waking hearts life your love is deep your love is wide and it covers us your love is fierce your love is strong it's furious your love is sweet your love is wild and it's waking hearts to life your love is deep your love is wide and it covers us your love is fierce, your love is strong, it's furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, it's waking hearts to life. Yes, Jesus, Lord, thank you, Father, for your love. So good, so gracious to us. Lord, we love you, God, and we respond. We say yes to you, Jesus. In the same way you have passionately pursued us, God, we want to passionately pursue you in every area of our lives, God. We invite you in. Give us grace, Lord, this week to wake up to purpose. Lord, God, and be encouraged by that every day, Lord, that you are with us, for us. Uh, you love us and you see us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited about next week, guys. I uh, love you all. Thank you guys for being here, and I'll see you then.